0: I want to bring our attention to another element of this colorism race conversation because during yesterday's game, Chris Berman of ESPN, was known to have said and have done some racist things, right? He there back in 2016, Jamel Hill described having an interaction or, or or message from him where he said some very you know uh, um, racist and and very disparaging remarks as a woman to uh, about her. When she was making some, when she was, um, you know, d- departing from ESPN at that time. So Chris Bryman came out. He was talking about the fact that you got these two black quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. And I just want to play the rest of what he had to say. Take a, take a listen, folks. Also, of course, two African-American quarterbacks starting against each other in the Super Bowl for the first time, fittingly. February 12th is Abe Lincoln's birthday. Here we go with the highlights and can you <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: You can't make this stuff up, bro. You can't make this stuff up, man.
0: Stop. Stop. The, man the man said, fittingly, February 12th is Abe Lincoln's birthday. Like, right. hey, thank him for these two black quarterbacks. We're playing in the NFL because if it wasn't for Abe Lincoln, <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know what he did for them black people,
1: uh, you can't make this stuff up, bro.
0: Who the hell? Right, I'm let you
1: right. Start this... With
0: this first guy, this and then brother Mike. Oh, I know you got. I know you want to unload, right.
1: brother. No, please give it to brother Mike. I know he's <laughs> up top. Ah, I will happily sit yeah, back. and listen. Yeah, but it.
0: Is, it, is, it, is, it it
2: seemed what? like this was a slight and he's a doing slight. this in, in, in black history month also. Okay. So he's saying this during black history month. Now, just, just so people understand the reason why black history month was originally the second week of February as Negro history week was partly because, uh, February toward the second week of February contained Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Dr. Carter G. Whitson created this because African-Americans were already having celebrations in our communities, Uh, celebrating Abraham Lincoln's birthday and then Frederick Douglass assumed birthday is February 14th. So it's because of those two, because of those two birthdays and celebrations are already taking place in our communities. This is why Dr. Carter G. Woodson uh, inserted the new cultural holiday within the second week of February. Um, So uh, so it, it appears what he's trying to say is, well, if it hadn't been for Lincoln who, you know, freed the slaves, we wouldn't have these two black quarterbacks. But the, 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 that's a misunderstanding of the Civil War. African-Americans took up arms and we freed ourselves. OK, we fought in There's we, we, uh, almost 200,000 of us that fought in the Union Army and the Navy and they and they let African-Americans fight in. Uh, on behalf of the union when their backs were against the wall and they were being beaten by, by the South uh, by the Confederacy. Uh, and, and even with the emancipation proclamation, even though it did not free the enslaved Africans because the union had no authority to dictate to the Confederacy what they could do. Uh, it was it was a military strategy designed to bring the South back into the Union and rob the South of their largest asset, which were the enslaved Africans. They had about three million of them or so in, in the Confederate States of America, the CSA, the Confederacy. And and uh, the preliminary Emancipation Proclamation was September 22nd, 1820, 1862, uh, 18, uh, the year before. And it stated that if those areas in, in rebellion, those territories in rebellion did not come back into the union by January 1st, 1863, they would be allowed to keep their slaves. Now it exempted Maryland, Missouri, Kentucky, and Delaware, the border states. They were allowed to keep their slaves and Maryland did not abolish slavery until November 1st, 1864. So almost two years after the emancipation proclamation. So a lot of this is mythology surrounding Lincoln. Okay. Uh, Lincoln was not an a abolitionist.
0: Thing, though. Here's the yeah. thing about Michael. Yeah. What was the point?
2: He, that was a slight. That was a that was an attack. Oh, hey, that was that was an attack really on on the two me. black quarterbacks to take away from that to say wait okay if it had not been for Lincoln oh, wow. you wouldn't have these two black quarterbacks. He he's trying to undermine the intention and at All the same time you 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 got to look and say okay he's saying something like that you know what I wonder what he would say about Colin Kaepernick. Kyler Kaepernick is still he's still being white balled from the league. Even though he got a settlement, Kaepernick is still being white balled from the league. He, he,
0: here's the point, and here's the point, Scotty, because we got a couple of moments left, and I uh, here's the point. Because I think that a lot of times, especially in the sports, right, we attend, we, we believe that white commentators, right? White mm-hmm. game callers, that they are quote unquote liberal progressive because Mm -hmm. sports makes us feel (laughs) as if, you know, we're all on the same page that nothing unites the American person, people like sports. (laughs) So when we really start to hear their real views, right? Like this is how they really think. Then we all get offended and I'm, you know, so I'm bringing this out because people are like, yo, Chris Berman really got a problem. He's really a racist underneath of all of this. Mm Mm-hmm. So, 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 so how did we, how did we address that, Scotty? Listen, man, at the end of the day, it's
1: the peers of one another calling, calling them out, right? Because, or peer co-workers, right? So it's the, it's the Stephen A. Smiths, it's the, it's the uh, Ryan Clarks, it's the Marcus Spears, it's, it's the, uh, it's all those black commentators as well, even his, his co-hosts. The one that the, the black man that always does with, with Chris Berman, yo, you gotta you gotta hold this Bama accountable. Like, it's like, see, it, it's that, it's too many pacifists for me, right? Yeah. Oh, it was a flip of the tongue. Oh, he didn't mean it like that. No, he meant it how he said it. Now, how I take it, that's perception. I get, that's how I took it. If he never says it, there's nothing to take. You get what I'm saying? So, to me, at the end of the day, his coworkers, his people, white and black, have to hold him accountable. His bosses, 9 times out of 10, that are white, got to hold him accountable. And then as well as the league, the NFL, this is part of your product, right? You got these people talking on your product. You have a whole banner in the back of the end zone talking about in racism. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Come <laughs> on, man. Like,
0: That's nonsense. You get what I'm saying? Hey, Scott, but, hey, but, hey, but, hey, 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 real quick. I wonder what Shannon going to say. I don't think he. Cause oh, I, I,
1: I watched him this morning. He, I don't think he said. I don't think he caught it. But he better say something. Somebody better say something. But but, I but you
2: got to. Yeah. But you but,
1: Uh, I wonder what Jay-Z is
2: going to say. Remember, Jay-Z was co-opted by the NFL back in September 2019. And I told people, I did it, I did a YouTube video September 2nd, 2019. I told people that they brought Jay-Z in, gave him this deal with the NFL to to get the top black acts because he put the word out, uh, prior to that, not to perform at the Super Bowl. Okay. So a lot of top black acts didn't perform. And that year that they have a room five perform, they had terrible ratings. All right. And then I said, they're going to be able to, because of Jay-Z, he's going to make it all right for the top black acts to perform. Who performed yesterday? Rihanna. I told right, people right, what right. was going to happen. So I wonder what Jay-Z is going to say. Because Jay-Z I said, know, look, look, the deal, he, he said, the deal with the NFL, he said, that's the next step in the social justice movement. Talking you know, about Captain Kaepernick, know, he said, this is the I, next I, step. You, I, you, you know, can't that. determine what the next step is, because you I, weren't involved know, in it in the first place. I,
0: I'm, I'm riding with you on this. I'm riding with Scotty on this. If black commentators don't say something, mm-hmm. right? Black Twitter is already saying stuff. But if black commentators don't say something, I ain't talking about Jason Whitlock.
2: Right, right. Oh no, I'm
0: talking about. I'm talking about. <laughs> That's white supremacy through ventriloquism, Jason Whitlock. Right there, that nigga. right? Oh. And even and look, the crazy part is the crazy part is we don't have that many strong black sports commentators on these mainstream programs. I look, trust and believe, right. I listen. Right. Like I listen to Nick Burrelson, I listen to Michael Strahan, I listen to Shannon, you know what I'm saying? Like like who's really talking the culture. You feel what I'm saying? They all get paid by
2: white people, man. So that, they
0: no, they can no, only no, get
2: look, so much. They can only go so far.
0: They only can go so far. But right. that's why I said let me hear what Shannon gotta say. Because right. I know Shannon he can write his own ticket anywhere at this right. point, right? Yep. So it's it's like I'm with Scotty on this. Like if you don't say something Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. You had this dude literally say Abe Lincoln's birthday is today." when you're talking about two black quarterbacks. Like, that is, if that don't.
2: <laughs> Asinine, bro. Asinine. That feeds into the mythology.
0: That is, that is, that is, and I mean, not that not 77% black, how many black people still watch the NFL, right? How many black people still watch? Out of 192 million, what's the breakdown of the demographics? How many women still watch mm-hmm. the NFL? It, the, even
1: Mac, they had a, they were showing a watch party in Ghana. They were showing. Right a watch it's party. it's
2: international. It's it was, international. Listen, Go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: Uh, so you're good, brother Mike. Like, like they showed that it was. Like, oh, look at this watch party and this party. I'm like, so. Oh,
0: it, it's, it's you don't get it right, bro.
1: Come on. Man. I talked
0: to a, I swore, I talked to a sports writer from Forbes magazine from Forbes.com last week, and this is the older brother. He's been he's been a writer for sports for 40 years. He told me. They haven't gotten it right. And he said the reason they haven't gotten it right is because they don't want to get it right. Right. Exactly. It's not that they can't. It's not that they don't have the brilliance. It's not that they don't have the the, the 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 black men and black women to be behind the scenes to help shape this news. They don't want to get it right. There's a story right now. And I'm sure, Brother Michael, you've seen it too. Scotty, I'm sure you you probably talked about it there's a story right now where the NFL is on record as being one of the, as aggressively denying claims to mm-hmm. NFL veterans who need disability and other medical coverage. Yep. Gets, men gets, who have put their lives out on the line, men who have given their bodies to the game and the NFL is still aggressively denying them health care claims and coverage and insurance coverage.
1: Real quick. You can probably talk about this um, sometime Go next time. With the Jim Trotter, Jim Trotter for two years straight has talked about the diversity within the higher levels of media in the NFL and why they have not seen black people and black commentators in the C-level executives in the media room. He's asked the commissioner for two years running at the NFL Media Day, go check that out. I'm telling you, Jim Trotter, he did and then and the, what, what is, what is, uh, Goodell? what is, oh, you know, I don't really touch the media room. Bama, you are the commissioner of the NFL. What you mean you don't touch the NFL? What do you, t- what do you mean you don't touch media? That don't even make sense.
0: That doesn't make sense.
1: That's well, keep in mind, sense.
2: he works for, he works for the owners though also. So, yeah, you know, but see, that's what I'm he saying. Does, he does their bidding. He does the owner's bidding.
0: I guess, it, but at the end of the day, you're right. But at the end of the day, like they just. It, it it doesn't it doesn't fit. Look, we gotta we gotta take a quick pause. Hey, brothers, brother brother Scotty, I appreciate you as always, folks. Make sure y'all subscribe to Off TV on YouTube and on on all social media platforms. My man Scotty is always bringing the heat. Truly, truly appreciate this brother and his insight. And every time we talk sports, I always think about my brother. And I'm bringing him in on all of these conversations. And then make sure y'all follow him on all social media strategy uh, uh, uh platforms. Hey, brother Scotty, thank you so much for checking in today. Hey, anytime for Roger. Thank you, brother. Michael hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. history network.com.
2: Cause we got a free black history month lecture Saturday, 12 noon to 1 30 PM Eastern standard time taught by me mm. historian study history, 32 years, the African history network.com. Yep. Black yeah. resistance movements. And if you missed the one, I just did Saturday, February 11th, you can still register for that. Watch that one. We did two hours. And then my uh, class number one of my 12 week online course started up on February 11th as well Ancient Kimeth yep. the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade. You can register for that also.
0: There it is, Brother Mike.
2: TheAfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Thank you, Brother Faraji. I
0: appreciate you. I appreciate, you. I appreciate All right, the love, peace. passion, and the history, bro. Peace. <laughs> All right, feel-
2: All right, how's everybody doing today? All right, hold up, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer, and and historian. So some of you all saw me uh, today on Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture, on the Black Star Media Network. I was on the show Monday, um, February 13th, 2023. And we talked some uh, about the Super Bowl and some aspects of it and... um, one of the things that I brought up was backlash that the NFL was getting for having Cheryl Lee Ralph of Abbott Elementary perform Lift Every Voice and Sing, which is the Black National Anthem. And it and it has unofficially been the Black National Anthem since 1917. OK, so she's been getting backlash. Well, well the NFL has been getting backlash from some conservatives on social media. And I talked about this some um, and compared this to the white national anthem, because you had uh, some conservatives saying, oh, well, there's only one national anthem, okay? And uh, so I wanna deal with some of this history here briefly, okay? There was a good article from, uh, um, uh the daily mail dot co america has one national anthem america has one national anthem NFL fans deleted as black national anthem lift every voice and sing is sung at Super Bowl uh fifty uh fifty seven all right the unofficial black national anthem was performed uh lift every voice and sing was promoted by the NAACP as the black national anthem in nineteen seventeen a pre recorded rendition was played before the Super Bowl in 2021 and 2022. So this is the first time it's actually been performed inside the stadium, okay, right before the game. This is the first time that's happened. And this article is from February twelfth, twenty twenty three. So um the black national anthem so the, the article talks about uh the black national anthem was uh performed uh, before the Super Bowl for the third time in a row causing outrage on social media. Causing outrage on social media. So uh, you have some people who are just upset about this and uh, it's like you know, uh, people will perform a WAP by like Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion anything like that. So why would you be offended by the black national no cursing in it? There's no sexual in your windows or anything of that nature. Now Cheryl Lee Ralph, um, the star of the comedy series Abbott Elementary, and I really like Cheryl Lee Ralph. I remember her. Uh, first saw her in 1977 in a piece of the action, Bill Cosby and Steve Portier. She performed the uh lift and sing the black national anthem on Sunday night ahead of Super Bowl fifty uh seven between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Phillip Eagles at State um, Stadium in Glenn, Arizona. Now we know uh, Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs won. I did not watch the game. I haven't watched the NFL game since 2017 when Colin Kaepernick left the league. Okay, so you all know this about me. Now, the song Lift Every Voice and Scene became, became an unofficial black national anthem when it was adopted by the NAACP in 1917 all right and here's a picture of our sister uh Cheryl Lee Ralph singing uh the black national anthem uh lift every voice and sing now there's i want to deal with uh briefly some of the backstory, uh some of the history of how this song became written how this became Uh, the Black National Anthem. Everybody, share this broadcast on your social media platforms. Invite your friends to tune in. Also support the African History Network. Register for uh, a free Black History Month lecture that I do on Saturdays, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Also, register for my online history classes that I teach uh, on Saturdays, 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time as well. Because we just had class number one this past uh, Saturday. It's a 12-week online course that I teach. And I'll give you some more information about that. Okay, so here's some background information on uh lift every voice and sing the black national anthem. Now there was an article uh now back in 2018, Beyonce performed the black national anthem at Coachella. And a lot of people found out about this song for the first time. A lot of white people found out about this song for the first time. When when I was in elementary school, we had to learn the song. It was taught to us, all right? So there was this article here from the Washington Post, Lift Every Voice and Sing, the story behind the Black National Anthem that Beyonce sang. Uh, this is an article from uh, April 16th, 2018. All right, let's continue. Okay, so this article gives some background information and I deal with, uh, some of this history in some of my lectures also. Um, so the lyrics were written by James Weldon Johnson. Okay. James Weldon Johnson in 1899, um, African Americans had been, uh, celebrating, uh, Lincoln's birthday, which is February 12th. Um, Lincoln's birthday, going back to, uh, The year after Lincoln was assassinated, he was assassinated in 1865. Okay, Um, and this is one of the reasons why Black History Month is celebrated in uh, the month of. It was started out the second week of February, Negro History Week, because it contained the second week of February. February contained contained the birth dates of Abraham Lincoln and uh, February 12th, and the assumed birth date. Of Frederick Douglass, which was February fourteenth, because Douglass didn't know the exact date or exact year that uh, he was born. So this was we know Negro History Week was created by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, and it was first celebrated in nineteen twenty six. All right, so. James Weldon Johnson was asked to address a crowd in Jacksonville, Florida for the coming anniversary of Abraham Lincoln's birthday. Just two two decades had passed since Reconstruction, the Reconstruction era, which was 1865 to 1877, and lynchings were on the rise in the segregated South. Instead of preparing an ordinary speech, James Weldon Johnson decided to write a poem the poem started with the words lift every voice evoking the struggle and resilience of our ancestors okay the the the, the point was evoking the struggle and resilience of our ancestors now the following year in the year nineteen hundred a chorus of five hundred school children performed the song at the lincoln at the abraham lincoln celebration the song quickly took off becoming a rallying cry for African-American communities in the South, or as one observer noted at the time, quote, a collective prayer, a collective prayer. Now, the song was embraced as a hymn in churches and performed at graduation ceremonies and in school assemblies. Within 20 years, the the NAACP, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, which was founded in 1909, and comes out of the Niagara movement, which was founded in 1905 by Dr. W.B. Dubois and others. um, The NAACP adopted Lift Every Voice and Sing as as its official song, okay? Now it becomes the unofficial uh, black national anthem in 1917. But when I was growing up, we were just taught it was the black national anthem. We were not, we, we we did not look at it as the unofficial black national anthem. I think you have some white people in the media who say it's the unofficial black national anthem, but growing up and, 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 and it being uh, us singing it in middle, in elementary school, high school, uh, uh, and then at uh, African cultural events, African centered events, we never said we're gonna sing the unofficial black national anthem. No, we said we're gonna sing the black national anthem, period. So I think you have white white writers and you may have some African American writer, writers who are influenced by white people who buy into this and say it's the unofficial black national anthem. But for us, it was no discussion on that, okay? There was there was uh there was no doubt this was the black national anthem. Now it was embraced as a hymn in churches and performed at graduation ceremonies and in school assemblies. Uh for generations to come, it would be known widely as the black national anthem. Uh lift every uh, lift every voice and sing the sto- So uh, check out the rest of this article here from the Washington Post. Um lift every voice and sing the story behind the black national anthem that Beyonce sang lift every voice and sing the story behind the black national anthem that Beyonce sang. This is from the Washington post from, uh, August 16th, 2018. Okay. So check out that article. All right. So Beyonce introduced, who won 32 Grammys also. right. Um, (laughs) Beyonce, uh, who, make uh, a lot of people aware of the black national anthem now Shirley ralph who's phenomenal in her own right sings it at the super bowl okay and you have a lot of conservatives in this era of uh attacking critical race theory attacks on um african american uh advanced placement uh, African studies uh, courses, attacks on Black History Month and and books being banned in schools, dealing with Dr. King and Rosa Parks and Ruby Bridges, et cetera, okay? In this whole climate, now at the Super Bowl, okay, which was probably watched by about 192 million people was expected, uh, the National Retail Federation estimated that 192 million people, 92 million Americans would watch the Black Net, would would watch the uh, Super Bowl, okay? All right, so then you have Shirley Ralph performing. So this is something I talked about on the show today, okay? The culture on uh, the Black Star Media Network, Roland Martins Network. Now, Shirley Ralph tweeted uh, 120 years ago today. So uh, February uh, 12th, the day of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 57. It was uh the it was the 123rd anniversary of "Lift Every Voice and Sing" being performed publicly for the first time. She said, "Today I will sing it for the first time as part of the Super Bowl pregame show in the stadium." All right, now, uh, Shirley Ralph announced that the news would be uh, that the news she would be performing a song on Twitter. Okay, uh, the song was was sung for both. Bowl um 40 both Super Bowl 50. Let me see. Both Super Bowl 55 and Super Bowl 56. Okay, I get my Roman numeral straight. Okay, L represents 50, V represents five, V1 represents six. So 50, 50, uh 5 and 56. Okay. Um, the song was sung before both Super Bowl 55 and 56, performed by Alicia Keys in 2021 and performed by Mary Mary in 2022. However, uh, Shirley Ralph was the first person to have sung the song on the actual field inside the stadium because, uh, with Alicia, with Alicia Keys, it was pre recorded, they showed the video before the Super Bowl game, it was pre recorded for Mary Mary, they performed live but they performed outside of the stadium okay shirley ralph was the first person to uh have sung the black Panther anthem actually on the super bowl field inside the stadium both previous performances were broadcast as pre-recorded clips now the song was originally a poem written by james Wooden johnson a former leader in the naacp its lyrics the struggles for races of African-Americans at the turn of the century Okay, because you because he wrote it in 1899. OK, so 1899. I mean, that's just four years after uh, that's Just four years after uh, Frederick Douglass dies. Frederick Douglass dies in 1890. OK. And you're talking about um, so chattel slavery ends in 1865. So you're talking about 34 years, you know, after chattel slavery ends. All right. So they, they, they were looking at the, it's, this is coming up on the turn of the century and they're looking toward the future, understanding the past. And you still have former slaves alive in uh, 1900. Okay. Um, Harriet Tubman didn't die to 1913. Booker T. Washington didn't die to 1915. These are two of the most prominent former slaves who were still alive after Frederick Douglass dies in 1895. So this is the whole climate that James Wilden Johnson writes this song. All right, now, um, here's Mary, so that's Rihanna, okay. Uh, and, you you know, I, I talked in the African History Network show Sunday how Jay-Z did a back uh, 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 the NFL, did a backdoor deal with Jay-Z, the co-op Jay-Z to bring him in to direct the uh, uh, Super Bowl uh, halftime shows. And so he could bring on the top black artists after he told the top black artists like uh, Rihanna not to perform because of Colin Kaepernick's protests. I, I predicted what was going to happen back when in my YouTube video that I did September 2nd, 2019. I told you what was going to happen. I told you that was a back that was a backdoor deal to undermine Conor Kaepernick's protests. Uh, so here, here's uh, Mary Mary performing uh, also in 2022 uh, ahead of the uh, Super Bowl. Okay. Unlike Shirley Ralph, they performed outside of the stadium and the performance was recorded in advance. And here's our sister, Alicia Keys. Now, dumbass Lauren Boebert, who's probably, uh, uh, I don't know if she's exactly a coup plotter, but she's a coup plotter sympathizer. Okay. Uh, Republican from Colorado. She won by less than a thousand votes. I think it was something like 250 votes. She won re-election. This is dumbass. She said America only has one national anthem. Okay, why is the NFL trying to divide us by playing multiple? Uh do football, not wokeness. Okay. Now, you would I I would expect Lauren Boebert to say that America has one national anthem because she's referring to the white national anthem. The Star-Spangled Banner, written by a white supremacist slave owner named Francis Scott Key, who used his position as uh, the district attorney in Washington D.C. to attack, he tried to have one abolitionist named Reuben Crandall uh, executed by hanging uh, because Reuben Crandall was caught with uh, with uh, anti-slavery pamphlets. So. Francis Scott is the man who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner in uh, about September 1814 during the War of 1812. And I call it the white national anthem when you understand the history behind it and who wrote it. It's about white people for white people written by white people. It's not just the third stanza, the third stanza that says no refuge for the hireling or the slave. No, it's not just the third stanza. The entire song is a white supremacist song. When you understand who wrote it and the history behind it. okay? I've done presentations on this in the past. So this ain't going to be as long as the other one, uh, the other ones. But just just understand. okay? because some people are confused. Why do you call it the white national anthem? Go study the history of it. I'm going to reference an article about Francis Scott Key in just a minute here. So when I see uh, people like Lauren Boebert, OK, Republican, coup plotter, sympathizer. Uh, America has only one national anthem and she's attacking the black national anthem. You know, I can I understand why. And this is a lot of this also do with the fear of the browning of America, because you have uh, you have some white people who want. African Americans to see reality through the eyes of Europeans. Now, it happened at really the same time that NFL player Colin Kaepernick famously refused to take a knee uh, as the Star Spangled Banner was sung. Okay, so that's that started basically August uh, 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 August 2016. Colin Kaepernick's protest. He started sitting out on the bench. Then he started taking a knee. On social media, reactions to the news uh, to the news the anthem. Would be sung for the third year in a row at the Super Bowl were mixed. Colorado Republican dumbass Lauren Boebert said on Twitter, America has only one uh, uh, anthem. Her critics attacked her, however, suggesting that her tweets showed more division than the inclusion of the anthem. Uh, Luke Zaleski, Z A L E S K I, legal affairs editor for uh, Condi Nast, accused the Politician of hypocrisy, the gaslighting is the fact that the, uh, that she's using the concept of unity to divide. The gaslighting is the fact that she used the concept of unity to divide. She's doing a grievance contrived to irk and produce the a further fracturing society. He wrote. Now another uh person noted that not only is it black history month and and black history month was never designed uh for this month to be when we study our history just so we understand hopefully somebody will let morgan freeman know. now another another person noted that Black history month but it's also the first time two black quarterbacks have faced off uh, and faced each other in super bowl history as Patrick Mahomes of the Kansas City Chiefs and Jalen Hurts of the Eagles led their respective teams we know Kansas City won didn't make any difference to me uh i'd rather have african american team ownership than two black quarterbacks in the uh, uh fighting off uh, facing each other and all the owners of the 32 teams are white. Okay. Uh and and then you got one that's Pakistani America, but he's passing for white. Now, the the song is uh meaningful to African Americans. It's also a historic game with two black quarterbacks uh the first time ever. Get over yourself and your ridiculous white grievances. If you don't like it, don't watch. Uh simple, uh, they tweeted okay here's Shirley Ann all right our sister Shirley Ralph now Laverne Spicer uh said the black national anthem is the star spangled banner the white National anthem is the star spangled banner the national anthem is the star spangled banner if you live in the united states the national anthem is the star spangled banner okay uh now it took uh if i remember correctly it took about um It took dozens of uh, of tried the uh, Star Spangled Banner to be become the national anthem, number one. But number two, if you actually understand history. Then um, the Star Spangled Banner for African-Americans is not something that we would claim in our right minds. And it's not something that we should claim. okay? because it's it's um, it's is a anti-African-American song. And when you understand the man who wrote it, you understand why I say that, okay? Uh, Daryl B. Harrison, who appears to be African-American phenotypically, uh, said the NFL was making them a by allowing them uh, to be sung, also suggesting that it made America a nation of two anthems. Well, the league is 68 to 70% African-American. OK, so they should perform. They should have been performing the black national anthem long before that. The The league is 68 to 70 percent African-American. They should perform it. Now, at the same time, I would argue. That we should stop watching the games as well. That's a whole nother conversation. OK, at the same time, I would argue that we should stop watching the games. Um, Because I still stand with Colin Kaepernick's protests. Okay. And Kaepernick is being white balled from the league. So I don't understand uh uh why we're watching the games in the in, in the first place. And they sold a 32nd commercial for six and a half million dollars. They they sold a 32nd, 32nd commercials were going for six and a half million dollars. Okay. Uh so uh many of us would uh rather be entertained than be empowered. If we, if we all rallied behind Colin Kaepernick, leveraged our economic dollars to put pressure on the NFL, stop buying tickets, stop buying jerseys, okay, stop watching the games uh, on, on TV, things like this, okay, stop going to the games, uh, that would have a tremendous impact because then it would put us in the driver's seat and we could put pressure on the NFL. You need to have African-American team ownership. You need to have better uh, health benefits for uh, the, the 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 players after they retire from the league. Okay, you need more African American head coaches. There's only like two or three African American head coaches in the league, but we would rather be entertained than be empowered. So, you know, a lot of times you teach people how to treat you so uh then uh let's see uh you have the comment from luke uh Zalinski, uh as well he's performed america the beautiful um i like baby face Ask the question why okay not as love of crime but just baby face why okay uh c- come on so read the rest of this article here. Then they have the lyrics to Lift Every Voice and Sing uh, also, okay? Very interesting article, the, the, the backlash that the NFL is getting for um, having Cheryl Lee Ralph uh, perform the song, okay? And you you may hear more uh, backlash uh, from, from the coming days. Now, uh, BM, uh, DMP, who is this? DMP said, did you hear Chris Berman's... Uh, yeah, we talked about that on um uh, Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture, uh Today on the Black Star Media Network, okay, Roland Martin's network. And um I I said that, you know, it's if you want to talk about Abraham Lincoln, you can talk about A Lincoln. So what, what Chris Berman was trying to do is he was trying to imply that uh, he wanted to gloss over the fact that you had two African-American quarterbacks uh, playing on opposing teams for the first time in Super Bowl history. And he was implying, hey, if it wasn't for Abraham Lincoln, these guys would still be slaves. um, Abraham Lincoln was not a savior for African-Americans. Now, he was better than most white people at the time he was not a savior. We took up arms and freed ourselves. Okay. We ran away from plantations. All right. We we ran behind union lines. Uh, What was the civil war a good thing for African-Americans? Yes, it was. You had almost 200,000 African-Americans who fought in the civil war. We joined the union army and we joined the union Navy and fought in the civil war. And we fought for our freedom. We took up arms and fought for our freedom. We didn't passively wait uh for white people to free us all right and the uh it, it's important to understand that the emancipation proclamation of January 1st 1863 did not legally free the slaves okay if you read if you go to loc.gov the Library of Congress website loc.gov and if you read it it tells you that the slaves in the in the territories that are in rebellion okay the the the, the territories that were part of the Confederate States of America, the Confederacy. It was saying that uh, those slaves would be freed if those territories did not come back into the Union by January 1st, 1863, because the initial Emancipation Proclamation was September 22 1862. It, the Emancipation Proclamation was an ultimatum to the Confederacy to bring uh the 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 territories back into the union, okay? To bring those territories in rebellion back, back into the union. The, the Civil War was not fought slaves. The Civil War was fought to bring the South back into the Union to, you, to keep the Union together because the South was the economic engine of America. The goal of the Civil War was not to to end slavery. The the, the the goal shifted after the emancipation proclamation of january first eighteen sixty three but it also says that um the the border states were exempt so Maryland Missouri Kentucky and Delaware they were still, still allowed to keep their slave okay Maryland did not abolish slavery till November first eighteen sixty four this is something we talked about in in my class on uh on uh Saturday, class number one of Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Maafa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So if you miss class number one, you can still register for it. Uh class number two is coming up Saturday, February 18th, 2023. This is a 12-week online course. We deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to uh the transatlantic slave trade taking place. So the class is on sale, $80 regularly, $130. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it any time. So when you register for the course, you can go back and watch class number one. Um, so visit our website the dot com. network.com. dot com. Because we got we did two hours uh, on Saturday, and if you look at this article here from uh, the Washington Post, the, uh, there's a piece from the Washington Post with uh, Maryland. Um, Maryland did not slavery after the Emancipation Proclamation, and they put it—they put it on the ballot, took a vote on it, and it almost didn't pass. Okay, so a lot of this that we think is history, and a lot of this history surrounding Abraham Lincoln is is a lot of myth. Now he—he he was a better white man than, than than a lot of them at the time, but Lincoln was not an abolitionist. He didn't think that African-Americans should have voting rights. He changed his mind toward the end of his life and said that African-Americans who served uh, in the union army or who who served on behalf of the union uh, during the civil war in the military, uh, African-American men, they should be able to vote, but not all Uh, African-Americans. This article right here from the Washington Post, the not quite free state, Maryland dragged its feet on emancipation during civil war okay during the civil war and it goes through and, and deals with this history that i just laid out briefly okay also it's important to understand that uh people get this mixed up up and think that slave owners in the u.s got reparations no they didn't that that only applied to slave owners in washington dc that that was called the compensated emancipation act of april sixteenth, 1862 which was signed in the law by President uh, Abraham Lincoln that only applied to slave owners in Washington, D.C. That did not apply to all uh, uh, slave owners in the country, okay? Because I hear people misstating misstating that and I guess they're confusing what um, Great Britain did in uh, 1834 with their uh, Slavery Abolition Act of 1834 where they took out a loan for nineteen million pounds and they, and, and Great Britain paid forty six thousand uh British slave owners uh reparations uh for freeing eight hundred thousand enslaved African people. I guess they're getting the two mixed up. But no, the compensated emancipation act of um eighteen uh sixty two, April sixteenth, eighteen sixty two, only applied to uh slave owners in uh Washington DC. OK, but if we uh, so you go through, read the rest of this here and they talk about they took the vote. The vote tipped in favor of abolition only after the absentee battle. Only after the absentee battle the soldiers fighting for the north were counted. This is during the Civil War, which is 1861, to 1865. The final tally was 30,000 uh, in favor of freeing the slaves twenty nine thousand seven hundred ninety nine and against it it almost did not pass okay on november 1st four maryland slaves were declared free only a few months before congress would approve the 13th amendment abolishing slavery so um the so it's going to the 13th amendment is going to pass the house and the senate but it it gets ratified by georgia december 6 1865 and when georgia ratifies the 13th amendment because the ratification process you uh a bill has to pass the house and the senate then it has to pass uh three quarters of the state legislatures by two-thirds majority vote so when it passed uh the georgia state legislature december 6 1865 then that gave the amendment the two-thirds majority vote to actually amend the U.S. Constitution to become law and legally end chattel slavery, all right. So I encourage people to go to loc.gov, the Library of Congress website, and also go to uh, archives.gov and read these documents, read the Emancipation Proclamation. Read the U.S. Constitution. Read the Declaration of Independence because when you go through and read these you get a much better understanding of history and understanding of law and laws shape historical events, historical events shape movements shape laws and policies so you have a you have a cycle these are these are the type of things that I deal with in my online courses okay uh so if you how, how's everybody doing give us a thumbs up give us a heart give us a like on this broadcast how you like this type of information uh Follow us on our fan page, the African History Network, the African History Network. Okay, I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. Uh, I'm a talk show host, researcher, lecturer, writer, and historian. I've been studying history 32 years. Uh, So I speak all across the country. You see me on Roland Martin Unfiltered on Fridays. So I provide political analysis. Analysis and historical analysis on Roland Martin and filtered. And on Mondays, I'm on uh, Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture. So I was on uh, his show today. All right. And we have Sister Felicia watching us. Uh, Sister Felicia is with Hapi, uh, Sister Felicia, and Brother Taiki uh, Grant, um, directors of the uh, film Hapi The Role of Economics and Development of Civilization. And uh, they just had the happy day of excellence. We had Brother Taqi uh, on the show, on the African History Network show. All right, visit our website, African History Network. For me, please support us. Please support us. All oh, this this does not happen without resources. Okay, um, I do uh, a twelve week online course. We just had class number one that started up Saturday, February eleventh. Uh, this class is Saturday, February 18th. Ancient Kemet, one the original names for Egypt. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa. Understanding the transatlantic trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Class is Saturdays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't have to be present in the class. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. A year from now, two years from now, you can go back and watch the entire course. Click right here to register for the full course. Uh, and, and he's the flyer for it, uh, This is a, did a fantastic uh, class. Uh, as soon as you register, class number one. We have a bundle pack of courses because uh, the second class that I teach starts up um, February 26th, Sunday, February 26th, class number one of from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1800 to 1968. So we get into the Civil War, Reconstruction, what leads up to the Civil War taking place Revolution, Louisiana Purchase of 1803, uh, Missouri Compromise at 1820, uh, Mexican-American War, 1846, 1848, Texas winning its independence from Mexico, 1836, Mexico winning its independence from Spain, 1821, Kansas-Nebraska Act, 1854, Treaty of Guadalupe-Hidalgo, 1848, where the U.S. gets Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico, California, Utah, and Nevada all from Mexico for about $15 million. All this leads up to the Civil War taking place. Now, I do uh, uh, on Saturdays, 12 noon to 1.30 p.m., I do a free Black History Month lecture for, for the month of February. If you missed uh, the, the previous uh, free lectures, uh, we have them archived here. You can click on them, and register for them and watch them. OK, and the Saturday, February 18th, 12 noon to 1 30 p.m., dealing with black resistance movements, black resistance movements. Now, black resistance is the 2023 annual theme for African-American History Month. It's been an annual theme for African-American History Month dating back to 1928. OK, created by Dr. Carter G. Woodson, who co-founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, September 9th, 1915 in Chicago. So we don't even, most of us don't understand the history of Black History Month to understand how to properly utilize it, okay? We're not getting the full benefit of it because we don't understand the history and don't know that there's an annual theme for it, which gives you the context to have your celebration and give you topics to discuss and do presentations on, et cetera, in your celebration. All right. So most people don't, don't know any of this. Okay. So, um, we have the information at our website, the African History Network dot com. And, uh, I posted the, uh, link there. So please, uh, please support us. And we have the information here in the thread of the broadcast. And I'm going to post the link here. You can register right here, uh, for the 12 uh, week online course. All right. Let me go back to. Uh, I want to go back to this topic here. Now, I want to deal with a little history of um, Francis Scott Key. Okay. Uh, first, let me show you this. Read this article here. I, I deal with this in my second class. This deals with the Compensated Emancipation Act of April 16, 62, who confuse and think paid uh, reparations to all slave owners in the U.S. No, we did not. They only pay reparations to slave owners in the District of Columbia, which is Washington, D.C. Okay. Um, So check that out. And there's more, there's other uh, sources on that as well. Okay. The, um, uh, this has it here. Um, National Archives, District of Columbia Emancipation Act. This is the U.S. National Archives. It gives information. It provided uh, for immediate emancipation, compensation to former owners who were loyal to the union of up to $300 for each freed slave, of up to $300 for each freed slave. Let me flip over to uh, this here, U.S. National Archives. Okay, on April 16th, 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signed a bill uh, ending slavery in the District of Columbia uh, the act brought to a conclusion decades of agitation aimed at ending white slavery. Decades of agitation aimed at ending white slavery, a uh, white uh, at ending what anti-slavery advocates called the national shame of slavery in the nation's capital. All right, now it provided for immediate compensation to former owners who were loyal to the Union of up to three hundred dollars for each freed slave, voluntary colonization of former slaves to locations outside the United States and payments of up to, uh, payments of up to $100 each for each person choosing immigration. Over the next nine months, the Board of Commissioners appointed to administer the act approved 930 petitions completely or in part from uh, from former slave owners for the freedom of two thousand nine hundred eighty-nine former slaves. Okay, so read the rest of this here. That did not apply to all slave owners in the U.S. It only applied to those in the District of Columbia. Okay, that's why it's called the that's 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 the Compensated Emancipation Act, April sixteenth, eighteen sixty-two. All right. Um, S. Rep. said, "Good information. We need most. Uh, we need most of us." to know this what really happened yep i agree that's why it's important to support the african history network because this don't happen with with no resources trust me it takes a lot to finance the african history network and we are dealing with a lot of um, financial challenges this week that i have to take care of if you want to support us also dollar sign the ahn show through cash app dollar sign the ahn show through cash app and through paypal paypal.me forward slash the ahn show we have the information on the home page of our website, also, uh the African History Network.com. All right, now I want to look at um there's a good article that I deal with when I teach about uh Frank i I've done a presentation dealing with the history of uh the national anthem and also the protests as well. And okay, so this article here is called Where's the debate uh, on Francis Scott Key's slave legacy? This is from SmithsonianMag.com. This is the official website of the Smithsonian Institute. Where's the debate on Francis Scott Key's slave legacy? Okay, this is from uh July 1st, 2016, by Christopher Wilson, who's director of Experience Design National Museum of American History. During his lifetime, abolitionists ridiculed Francis Scott Key's words, sneering that America was more like the land of the free and the home of the oppressed, sneering that America was more like the land of the free and the home of the oppressed. Okay. Uh for the sake of time, I want to uh fast forward through this and get to the portion that I want to talk about. All right. Now in uh 1814 um uh, this during the war of 1812 uh Francis Scott Key was a slaveholding Francis Scott Key was a slaveholding lawyer from an old Maryland plantation family who thanks to a system of human bondage had grown rich and powerful now this is Francis Scott Key right here the man who wrote uh what what uh he named it the defense of fort mchenry the defense of fort mchenry it started out as a poem and it was about a battle during the war of 1812 the war of 1812 was 1812 to 1814 and the us was fighting against great britain once again okay this is the war of 1812 now uh when francis scott key wrote the poem that would in 1931 Become the national anthem, all right, uh, and proclaim our nation, quote, the land of the free. Like Thomas Jefferson, Francis Scott Key not only profited from slaves, not only profited from slaves, he conceptions of American citizenship and human potential. Africans in America, Francis Scott Key said, were quote, a distinct. An inferior race of people, which all experience proves to be this evil that affects a community. Francis Scott Key was a straight up white supremacist slave owner. What the hell am I going to sing a song that he wrote that became the white national anthem? That's just stupid. That's what happens when you don't understand history. You don't understand what you're participating in. This is why I don't sing the white national anthem. It's not the third, it's not just the third stanza, okay, that says no refuge for the hireling or the slave. It's the entire song is a white supremacist song, as I said before. It was written by white people for white people about white people, and it was voted on in Congress by white people to become the white national anthem because. But by, by, by the time it was voted on in 1931, there may have been maybe one African-American uh, who was in Congress. That's it. So what are you talking about? This, th- this is what happens when you don't understand history. Now, if you want to say there should be a new national anthem. If you want to say this should be a new national anthem, okay, that supports uh that that uh is inclusive of various races of people and, and you know it's inclusive of everybody, if you want to say this should be a new national anthem, okay, I can agree with that. I I go, you know, I can agree with that. If there needs, if there if there should be a new national anthem, this is not it right here. And and then when you get into when you get into the colonial Marines, the colonial Marines was a, a, a group of, um, there were a group of, uh, Marines who were former, a lot of them were former slaves. And this was a group that, um, uh, uh, Francis Scott key and his men had a battle with, a uh, 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 two or three weeks prior to him writing this. And, uh, and uh, because when he writes the defense of Fort McHenry, he's watching a British attack on Fort McHenry in Baltimore. Okay, that's why it's called the defense of Fort McHenry. So when you get into all when you get into all this, then you see his animosity for African people come out. So th- this is why you know a lot of the stuff. I sit back and and I look and and and, and you know. I'm saying, okay, this is why our model is right now corrects wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard, and seen about yourself. All right, Sister Felicia, thanks for the support also as well. Okay, so uh, guys, you can support us through Cash App and PayPal. Definitely should support or register for uh, one of our online, cl- one of our paid online classes. Okay. Because I, just so people understand, because I guess a lot of people that don't do this don't know this, but I use two different digital platforms to teach those classes Crowdcast and Learn World. Okay. And I have to pay them each month. So it's not it's not free to, to teach those classes. I have to pay to, to teach those as well. All right. All right, let's continue here. Uh, I wanna go back to this. All right, so a few British troops in the War of 1812 stunned and demoralized the mayor by attacking Washington and uh, setting the Capitol building and the White House ablaze. They attacked Washington, D.C. They burned the White House down and the U.S. Capitol building, the British, okay? on august 24th 1814 the british attention to the vital seaport of baltimore the by of baltimore all right now september 13th 1814 british warships commenced an attack on fort mchenry in baltimore which protected the city's harbor for 25 hours bombs and rockets rained down on the fort while americans still wondering whether their newfound freedom would really be short lived awaited news of Baltimore's fate so so this is after the american revolutionary war which was 1775 to 1783 against great britain also okay so uh, you know amer so you have america largely white people in america wondering okay are we still going to be a free nation etc now it's also important to note that a lot of uh, African slaves ran away and ran over to the British side to fight for the British against the uh, against the U.S. in the War of 1812, just as they did during the American Revolutionary War. Just as they did during the American Revolutionary War. There were more, uh, what we would call African-Americans, there were more African-Americans who fought on behalf of the British During the American Revolutionary War, then fought on behalf of the colonies because the British were the first ones who said, if you come fight for us, we'll set you free when this war is over with. All right. So we were born at night, but not last night. We said we said, okay, we're going to go fight for the British because we wanted to be free. So the the, uh, and, you know, to, to make a not to. I'm trying to keep this short. This is the short version. I've, I've done the extensitization of all this. This is the short version right here. But um, there, at the end of the War of 1812, the U.S. demanded that Great Britain return, uh, it was about 6,000 runaway slaves. They they demanded that Great Britain return about six thousand runaway slaves. Great Great Britain refused to do so. Okay. The war of- to understand this, and um, uh, you know, and to understand the U.S. and this puts us on a trajectory to the Civil War also. Okay, this puts us on a trajectory to the Civil War as well. Read this article here. Just for the sake of time, this is written by Dr. Jason Johnson for um, theroot.com. I'm not a big fan of Dr. Jason Johnson. I've been listening to him, and I, yeah, he's all right. But I not some of that stuff he says is just just uh, is not accurate. Let me just be polite and say it like that: "Star Spangled Bigotry: The Hidden Racist History." of the national anthem, July 4th, 2016. So um, it goes through and it talks about, let's look at the colonial Marines, okay? Because on particular note, Francis I opposition to the idea of the colonial Marines. Now the colonial Marines were a battalion of runaway slaves who joined with the British Royal army in exchange for their freedom. The colonial Marines were not only a terrifying example of what slaves would do if given the chance, but also a repute, a repudiation of the white superiority that men like Francis Scott Key was so invested in. So you got to understand they get to go. These are runaway slaves who ran away from the U.S. and fought on behalf of Great Britain. Now they get the opportunity to take up arms and go kill their former slave masters. Oh, hell yeah, they're with that. And they're going to get their freedom also? That's why more of them fought on behalf of Great Britain than fought for the U.S. This terrified people like Francis Scott Key, who was a slave owner. Because I guarantee you, he was afraid that his slaves would have an uprising as well and take him out too. Now, all of these ideas and concepts came together around August 24th, 1814, at the Battle of of Blandensburg, where Francis Scott Key, who was serving as a Lieutenant in in the Army, at the time ran into a battalion of colonial Marines, these former slaves who went to fight for Great Britain. His troops were taken to the woodshed by the very black folks he disdained. He got his ass kicked by these black colonial marines and he fled back to his home in Georgetown to lick his wounds. The British troops emboldened by their victory in Blandersburg then marched marched into Washington DC, burning the Library of Congress, burning the US Capitol building and burning the White House. You can imagine that Francis Scott Key was very much in his feelings, seeing black soldiers trampling on the city he so desperately loved. Now, a few weeks later in September of 18, it should be uh, September 1814, not 1815. A few weeks later in September of 1814, far from being a captive, Francis Scott Key was on a British boat begging for the release of one of his friends. A doctor named William Beans, or benes I'm not exactly trying to pronounce it. Francis Scott Key was on the boat waiting to see if the British would release his friend when he observed, he observed the bloody battle of Fort McHenry in Baltimore, September 13th, 1814. America lost the battle, but managed to inflict heavy casualties on the British in the process. This inspired Francis Scott Key to write what would later be called the Star-Spangled Banner, he named it the Defense of Fort McHenry. It was a poem. He so he wrote the poem after watching the bat watching the battle. So then, that's when he said, uh, uh, "And our flag was still there." Okay, he's talking about the flag was still flying at Fort McHenry. This is where this comes from. So right then and there, but no one remembers that he wrote a full third stanza de- decrying the former slaves who were now working for the British army, the colonial Marines. Okay. And where is that band that was so vauntantly uh, that who, who so vauntingly swore that the havoc of war and the battles, confusion and home and the country should leave us no more. Their blood has washed out their foul footsteps, pollution, their blood has washed out their foul footsteps pollution. No refuge for uh, no refuge could save the hireling and slave from the terror of flight or the gloom of the grave, and the star spangled banner in triumph doth wave over the land of the free and the home of the brave. Okay? But it ain't the just the third stanza that's the problem. It's the entire song that's the problem. And who wrote the song? So when you understand history, this is, and, and see, Jackie Robinson. Jackie Robinson said in his autobiography, I never had it made. Jackie Robinson said he can never sing the Star Spangled Banner again and, and stand for the Star Spangled Banner, okay? So, so read the rest of this, okay? Knowledge is power. Right now, it's correct wrong behavior. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself, and what you allow other people to do to you and get away with is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you've been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard and seen about yourself. All right, now. Um Let me go back to Let me see. Let me go back to this here. Okay. So we have um we talked about uh, Beyonce performing at Coachella. We talked about some of the history of, of uh, Lift Every Voice and Sing the Black you No know, Anthem. Okay. It's not the unofficial Black National Anthem. Because I tell you, when I was growing up, we'd say, okay, now it's time to sing the unofficial Black National Anthem. No, that's, that's white people trying to tell us it's the unofficial Black National Anthem. First of all, you can't, we, we determine what the Black National Anthem is. Europeans can't tell us what the Black National Anthem is. They're trying to define reality for us. Power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own. is not the way Noble correctly correctly teaches us, all right? Okay, so we talked about the history of James Weldon Johnson and the Black National Anthem. We talked about backlash the NFL is getting for having uh, Cheryl Lee Ralph uh, perform it during... Uh, a game uh, during during the Super Bowl in 68 to 70 percent, 68 to 70 percent of the league are African-American. We dealt with some of the history of Francis Scott Key as well. Also, with Francis Scott Key, uh, who wrote the, the Star Spangled Banner, started out as the defense of Fort McHenry. Um, the. Let me see something. It's right here. Yeah. I wanna to go to this piece right here, back to the Smithsonian. Let's look at this here. Back to the article from Smithsonian mag. All right, the poem he wrote celebrated the star-spangled banner as a symbol of the resilience and triumph of the United States. Now, ironically, while Francis Scott was composing the line over the land of the free, it is likely that black slaves or African slaves were trying to reach British ships in Baltimore Harbor. They knew that they were far more likely to find freedom and liberty under the Union Jack, which is the uh, British flag under the Union Jack than they were under the star-spangled banner, okay? The land of the free for who, Francis Scott Key? The land of the free for whom? Now, additionally, Francis Scott Key used his office as the district attorney for the city of Washington, D.C. from 1833 to 1840 to defend slavery, attacking the abolitionist movement in several high profile cases. He tried to have Reuben Crandall uh, uh, executed. For having abolitionist pamphlets in the mid 1830s, the movement was gain. the abolitionist movement was gaining momentum. So right around 1830, 1831, the uh, Underground Railroad, uh, is formed. Okay. Largely, uh, up north, the majority of it is up north. Okay. And then you have a southern Underground Railroad going from Texas into Mexico because when, uh, Vicente Guerrero, who was the second president of Mexico? When Vicente Guerrero became president, he abolished slavery because he was a former slave. He he was a he was like Afro Mexican, Vicente Guerrero. All right. So you had between five thousand to ten thousand. runaway african slaves who run away from texas and surrounding areas like mississippi things like this they run it they run into uh mexico because mexico is free territory now then you have the underground railroad going from the south going up north uh also okay now in the mid 1830s the uh uh abolitionist movement was gaining momentum all right and with it came increased violence particularly from pro-slavery mobs attacking free African-Americans and white abolitionists and other methods to silence the growing cries of abolition uh, in the in the U.S. House of Representatives and United States Senate in the in in House of Representatives and United States Senate inundated with petitions from abolitionists calling for the ending or restriction of slavery pro-slavery congressmen looked for a way to suppress the voices of abolitionists now also we know that in 1808 january 1st 1808 the international transatlantic slave trade was abolished and the international transatlantic slave trade dealt with bringing africans into the country uh to enslave them and this is uh th- th- that law passed Congress, March 2nd, 1807, okay, and it went into effect January 1st, 1808. Now, it still allowed slavery to exist in the U.S., but it made it illegal to bring Africans into the country to enslave them, and this dealt with uh, that uh, there were international treaties, Great Britain and the United States. Britain into 1807, U.S. Congress March 2nd, 1807 bans the international transatlantic slave trade. National, uh, other countries that enter into these international treaties, and this is stipulated in Article One, Section, nine, which is the earliest that the international transatlantic slave trade a uh ten dollar tax a, a tax of up to ten dollars on uh for each uh African that was brought into the country okay so when uh, all these people who are talking about reparations um article one section nine clause one this uh helps give you a legal foundation for uh reparations. Okay. Now at Congress.gov, and I gotta wrap this up because I ain't planning to be here this long. But it, 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 but I, you know I'm a teacher, so this this you know this is what I do. Uh, let me refresh the screen. All right. Now, okay, we're back here because I gotta upgrade the um. I got to upgrade my laptop. I need a new laptop. I need one that has a faster processor um, than this laptop here. So um, U.S. Constitution. So this is congress.gov article 1 section 9 clause 1 migration or importation. Okay, Restrictions on the slave trade. This is in the U.S. Constitution. The migration or importation of such persons as any of the States now existing shall think proper to admit, uh, shall not be prohibited by the Congress prior to the year uh, 1,808, 1,808. But a tax or duty may be imposed on such importation not exceeding $10 for each person, not exceeding $10 for each person. So all the Africans that were brought into this country from January 1st, 1808 to July of 1860, when the Clotilda comes into Alabama uh, about July of 1860. And the Clotilda is the last known slave ship that came, in, uh, that came into the US and that was illegal because when um, um, that that whole thing happened because of a bet that a wealthy white man made that he could bring in uh, a slave ship and uh, he, he, he could uh, navigate around the authorities. Okay, that's how that happened. But all those Africans that were brought in from January 1st, 1808, to the July of 1860 was illegal based upon federal law. And their court cases, like the 1841. Uh, U.S. Supreme Court case of the United States versus the Amistad that document this because those Africans, Joseph Sinke, Joseph Q and those Africans largely from Sierra Leone on the Amistad slave ship, uh which was uh 1839, and then the US Supreme Court case is 1841, um, when they were captured, it was illegal and violated international treaty, international treaties. If you go to uh if you go to archives.gov, U.S. National Archives, and uh, look up the uh, Amistad case, okay, U.S. National Archives, the Amistad case, um, the first thing that it tells you is that it was illegal for those Africans to be captured in the first place because of violated international treaties. All right, so U.S. National Archives, archives.gov, the Amistad case, in in february 1839 portuguese slave hunters abducted a large group of africans from sierra, sierra leone and shipped them to havana cuba uh, a center for the slave trade this abduction this abduction violated all of the treaties in existence you're dealing with a violation of international law when they were captured okay then when you go through and click on read more and you go through and and read the the whole about the whole court case And and it went through uh, the the federal courts. Then it went to the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay, Um, the the U.S. Supreme Court decided in favor of the Africans, stating that they were free individuals, kidnapped and transported illegally. They had never been slaves because it was illegal for them to be captured in the first place. It was illegal for that slave ship to come into U.S. waters also because the international transatlantic slave trade had been abolished January 1st, um, uh, 1808. Okay, now. uh, They won their freedom. Okay, they won they won their freedom and uh, they were set free. Now, the, the U.S., what happened was the abolitionists had to collect money to uh, pay to send them back to Sierra Leone. The U.S. didn't didn't give them a free trip back to Africa. Abolitionists had to take up money, but at least they won their freedom in the U.S. Supreme Court. Senior Justice Joseph Story wrote and read the decision, quote, it was the ultimate right of all human beings in extreme cases to resist oppression. And to apply force against ruinous injustice. End quote. The opinion asserted the Africans' right to resist unlawful slavery because there was a there was a mutiny on the ship. There was a slave revolt on the ship. So they ruled that those Africans had a right to take up arms on that ship and fight for their freedom. They also ruled that it was illegal for them to be captured in the first place because it violated all the international treaties at the time, and they ruled that they were free so it's so so they were set free okay all right so so read that from uh uh, archives.gov us national archives then with the uh uh the amistad okay now um just go back i'm going to wrap up here because i have to get out of here i'm going to wrap up here with the smithsonian mag and then we'll give you information about my online course my 12-week online course that i teach also where we get deep into this history um in the house of representatives and united states senate inundated with uh, petitions from abolitionists calling for the ending or restriction of slavery pro-slavery congressmen looked for a way to suppress the voices of abolitionists in 1836 the house of representatives passed a series of gag rules to table all anti-slavery petitions and prevent them from being read or discussed raising the ire of people like John Quincy Adams. John Quincy Adams the sixth president who was the son of John Adams the second president and John Quincy Adams was one of the defense attorneys for those Africans on the Amistad slave ship okay so when you watch the movie Amistad and a lot of people saw the movie Amistad I think it was 1997 okay Um, A lot of people don't understand what they were seeing. They're giving you a legal foundation for reparations in this country. And when we deal with repairing the damage of a legacy of slavery, we're seeking a legal remedy to a historical problem, which implies you need to understand both history and law. Unfortunately, most of our people don't understand either one of them. And the foundational law in this country is the U.S. Constitution. Article 6 of the U.S. Constitution tells you that the U.S. Constitution, all the previous treaties and all the subsequent treaties are the supreme law of the land. So when you go to lawmakers, you don't go to lawmakers to argue morality. You go to lawmakers to argue law because lawmakers write laws laws get challenged in the judicial branch of the federal government which are the federal courts federal court of appeals and the US Supreme Court when they get challenged in court they get challenged on the basis that they're unconstitutional that they violate the constitution so if you're seeking a legal remedy to a historical problem and you want to call it reparations or restitution whatever it is you have to make sure that you're on strong legal footing one would be the black freedom indian treaties of 18 18- 66, because those are laws still in the books right now. And the Choctaw, Chickasaw Creek, Cherokee and Seminole Indians all owned African slaves. And when uh, after the Civil War, they enter into treaties with the U.S. government that states that they had to free their slaves, give them land, et cetera. They uh, they become uh those African slaves, get membership in those Native American nations, etc. OK, so and, and they get cash payments. Uh, uh, and, and get all the rights and privileges of being members of those Native American nations. Those laws are still in the books right now. Those that, that that's one of our best chances to get any type of repairing the damage of the legacy of slavery. One, two would be based upon Article One, Section Nine, Clause One of the U.S. Constitution. Okay, which um, uh, ended with which uh, ended the international transatlantic slave trade. All right. And I'm trying to find something right quick here. Where is my presentation on, oh, I dealt with this in my Kwanzaa presentation. Um, yeah, I dealt with this in my Kwanzaa presentation dealing with reparations. So check out this piece here. And I've also talked about this on the African History Network show. I talked about this on Hot Pete Talks as well with uh, Felicia Hardin and uh, Taki Grant also when they interviewed me before. Uh, look at this here. So attorney uh, Demario Solomon Simmons, we've been on uh, Roland Martin and Filtered before together. Uh, he's working with Representative Maxine Waters to enforce the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 for descendants of the Black Freedmen. Now, you're not gonna get anything like this passed with Republicans in control of the House of Representatives. Democrats have to take back control of the House and it takes 218 votes to get any bill passed in the House of Representatives, okay? Descendants of Black Freedmen enslaved by Native Americans in 1800, seek tribal citizenship. Representative Maxine Waters tries to help. Representative Maxine Waters tries to help. Um, if we look at this, uh, go go through, read these articles, and, and we uh, we discuss this in my online classes. But go through and read these articles here. Um, even though uh, progress is being little, a little progress is being made. African Americans don't understand how to get reparations law. And the legislative process. Uh, read this article from the thegrio.com: Maxine Waters leads push to get justice for Black Native Americans. This is from October 13th, 2021. Maxine Waters leads push to get justice for Black Native Americans. A dispute between Black members of Indigenous tribes and the federal government is part of a history that is now being exposed on Capitol Hill. Congresswoman Maxine Waters is calling out Native American tribes choctaw chickasaw creek cherokee and Seminole indians who held black slaves and continued to discriminate against black uh, uh black native americans okay uh descendants of those black enslaved by the hands of native american tribes may get a slice of justice through access to native american federal subsidies Native American federal subsidies that have previously been denied to them. The California Congresswoman is seeking to get five tribes to comply with their 1866 treaty obligations that recognizes uh, Black Native American freedmen, that recognizes Black Native American freedmen and their descendants as full citizens of their tribes, therefore making them entitled to all of the rights afforded to any other citizens of those Native American tribes or nations. Uh, Representative Maxine Waters tells the group, okay, read, read that. Uh, much of the dispute between black members of the indigenous tribes and the federal government is part of a history that is now being exposed on Capitol Hill. Now, this ties into the origins of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I've done a two and a half hour lecture dealing with the history of Black Wall Street in Tulsa, Oklahoma. It's available at our website, The African." historynetwork.com, the History Network.com. Um, Tulsa, let see, Tulsa, Oklahoma was founded by Creek Indians around 1836, who got pushed off their land in the Southeastern United States because of the Indian Inter- Removal Act, Indian Removal Act of 1830 signed by President Andrew uh, Jackson. Okay, I'm, this is, I'm making this too long. Uh, I gotta stop here, because I'll just keep going. Um, read, read that article, okay? and uh, read this one also. Nine entrepreneurs who helped build Tulsa's Black Wall Street because Hannibal B. Johnson, who I know and I've read his first book, dealing with the history of Black Wall Street, Hannibal B. Johnson was interviewed by History.com, the official website of the History Channel. And Hannibal B. Johnson made the connection between the Dawes Allotment Act of 1887, the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, and the first African-American landowners in Tulsa, in North Tulsa, where you would have Black Wall Street, which was the Greenwood District, the intersection of Greenwood, Archer, and Pine. Quote, their relative wealth, the relative wealth of some Black folks in Oklahoma comes in part, comes in part from their connection to these Native American tribes and their land ownership, says Hannibal B. Johnson, historian and author of Black 100 an American city grapples with this historical racial trauma. The Dawes Allotment Act, 1887, named after Senator Henry L. Dawes of Massachusetts, authorized the government to divide tribal territory into allotments for individual uh, Native Americans, which, uh, in which included black members uh, of, of those Native American tribes. As word spread that Indian territory is a safer place for African Americans to settle between eighteen sixty-five and nineteen twenty, more than fifty black townships were founded in Oklahoma. More than fifty black townships in Oklahoma. Okay. So um the uh, let me go let me go back to this article and finish this up because I have to get out of here. Um and you know, this is this is Teaching history is my passion, but uh, I'll just keep going. I'm telling you right now. You know, like the Energizer Bunny, just keep going and going and that's going. I'll do uh, <laughs> I'm gonna have to get out. 1836, the House of Representatives passed a series of gag rules, uh, raising the ire of people like John Quincy Adams who saw restricting uh, debate on, uh, restricting debate and assault on a basic First Amendment right of citizens to protest um, and petition, okay, protest and petition to end slavery. Now, uh, in the in the same year, okay, so that'd be 1836. In the same year, shortly after a race riot in Washington D.C. in 1836, when angry, when when an angry white mob set upon a well known. A uh, black restaurant owner set upon a well-known black restaurant owner, Francis Scott Key, the man who wrote the Star-Spangled Banner, the man who talked about the land of the free and the home of the brave for white people. Francis Scott Key likewise sought to crack down on the free speech of abolitionists, those fighting to end slavery. Francis Scott Key believed where uh, believed uh, these abolitionists were riling things up in the city of uh, Washington, DC. Francis Scott Key prosecuted a New York doctor living in Georgetown for possessing abolitionist pamphlets, for possessing abolitionist pamphlets. In the resulting case of the US versus Reuben Crandall, Francis Scott Key, the man who wrote the Star Spangled Banner made national headlines by asking whether the property rights of slaveholders outweighed the free speech rights of those arguing for slavery's abolishment. Francis Scott Key hoped to to silence abolitionists. He hoped to silence abolitionists who he charged, wished to quote, associate and amalgamate with the Negro, end quote. He said abolitionists wanted to associate and amalgamate with the Negro. See, he's saying these abolitionists want to have sex with Negroes, basically that's what he's saying, okay? They want to associate and amalgamate with the Negro and he thought African people were mentally inferior. Though Reuben Crandall's offense was nothing more than possessing abolitionist literature, Francis Scott Key, who was the district attorney to Washington, D.C., felt that abolitionist free speech rights were so dangerous that he sought unsuccessfully, he sought to have Reuben Crandall executed by hanging for possessing abolitionist pamphlets. And you wanna say there's one national anthem? You're talking about the white national anthem. Read this article from Smithsonian, uh, SmithsonianMag.com. This is the official website of the Smithsonian Institute where's the debate on francis Scott Key's slave holding legacy there is no debate if you understand history ain't nothing to debate just deal with the facts and evidence proper documentation ends all conversation all right how'd you all like this type of information give us a thumbs up give us a heart give us a like on this broadcast please support the african history network please support the african history network definitely needs your support it takes a lot of finances to do this register for uh my my online classes that i teach we have a uh, class number two of ancient kemet the moors and the maafa understanding the transatlantic slave trade where they didn't teach you in school class number two starts uh it's uh saturday february 18th uh 2023 so we do the sessions live all the sessions are archived and recorded you can go back and watch it anytime if you uh miss class number one Ah, uh, that's not a problem. It's archived. You can go back and watch it. and uh, let me post this information here. Uh, we have the information right on the home page of our website, which is the dot com. Let me uh, go back to this here. Let's go back to the website. So as soon as you register, you can start watching the content. You go to our website, scroll down, you see information about my radio show. I'm on Sundays, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, the African History Network show. We have information with PayPal and Cash App here because people set up fake African History Network Cash App accounts. There's like five of them that I identified, so they've been stealing money from us. So that's why I had to put together this graphic. Our um, Cash App is dollar sign the AHN Show s-h-o-w That's our Cash App tag when you go to it, it'll say Michael, and it'll probably show my picture there. People set up these fake African History Network Cash App accounts that have been stealing money from us. Uh, I contacted Cash App uh, a, a number of times. They opened up an investigation as slow as hell um, dealing with this stuff, okay? So I got to follow with them again. Uh, we have the free lecture Saturday, February 18th, 12 noon to 1.30 p.m. And then uh, also register for uh, my 12-week online course. Uh, class number two starts Saturday, February 18th, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's on sale, $80, regularly $130. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, okay? And we do with thousands of years of history, what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. We do with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors. We have a bundle pack. Where you get both classes for $120. You get the first class and the second class that I teach. Uh from the Civil War to the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power, 1800 to 1968. Also, the uh when you register for um uh, understand the transatlantic slave trade, there'll be uh the five bonus lectures of mine that you'll get also. Five bonus lectures of mine that you'll get also. They'll be in the video library. Okay. All right, so I'm gonna uh post the uh link here this takes you to the uh website for the uh class number was this uh class number two let's see uh, and actually let's see we have class number two um okay let me post this here and we'll put the link for the website also You, this information you can use with your children also in the courses I would say the information is PG 13 um, I do a PowerPoint presentation we have book references articles video clips uh, we, we, we I scan the pages of the book so we show you that on the screen so it's very visual um, And some of the slides that I showed you a slide some of the slides the PowerPoint slides those are some of the slides that I use in the classes as well all right so hopefully you learned a lot today. Share this uh, with your friends. Follow us on our fan page, the African History Network uh, on Facebook. Turn on live notifications so you know when we go live. Follow me on YouTube, uh, Michael M. Hotep, I-M-H-O-T-E-P on YouTube. And uh, support the African History Network because we definitely support you. Uh, remember right now let's correct wrong behavior. It's not over till we win Wakanda forever. And we'll talk to you next time. Peace.